following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motokare Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 709-1000. Continue our worship service with our time of scripture reading and then our time of offering together. Turn with me to Romans, who oh, not Romans, we're not in Romans. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 59. I'm so used to saying Romans because Pastor Matt's been doing it for so long. Psalm chapter 59, we're going to read from the top of Psalm 59 all the way down to the bottom, so 17 verses there, Psalm chapter 59, verse 1 through 17. All right, let's read that together, Psalm 59, verse 1, deliver me from mine enemies, O God. Defend me from them that rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloody men. For though they lay in wait for my soul, the mighty are gathered against me, not for my transgression, nor for my sin, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves without my fault. Awake to help me and behold. Thou therefore, O Lord, God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to visit all the heathen, be not merciful to any wicked transgressors. They return at evening, they make a noise like a dog and go around about the city. Behold, they belch out with their mouth, swords are in their lips, for who say they doth hear? But thou, O Lord, shalt laugh at them. Thou shalt have all the heathen in derision. Because of his strength will I wait on thee, for God is my defense. The God of my mercy shall prevent me. God shall let me see my desire upon mine enemies. Slay them not, lest my people forget. Scatter them by thy power, and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them even be taken in their pride for cursing and lying which they speak. Consume them in wrath, consume them, that they may not be, and let them know that God ruleth in Jacob unto the ends of the earth. And at evening let them return, and let them make a noise like a dog, and go around about the city. Let them wander up and down for meat, and grudge if they be not satisfied. But I will sing of thy power, Yea, I will sing aloud of thy mercy in the morning, for thou hast been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. Unto thee, O my strength, will I sing, for God is my defense and the God of my mercy. Praise the Lord for his word. We're going to go to our time. All right. I apologize. My throat is a little bit croaky this morning. Hopefully that will not get in the way as I preach. When Sarah and I were young, don't you love it when someone starts a sermon like that? When, yeah, I'm still young, by the way, and Sarah's still young. For those of you out there who got old, I'm sorry, but I'm still young. But just to use an analogy, 
when Sarah and I were young, we used to love, in fact, before we got married, we used to really enjoy going rock climbing. In fact, we got to know each other sort of through rock climbing with some friends and and that we used to go out, we would go rock climbing, and, and we used to really enjoy that. The goal of rock climbing is to get from the bottom of a cliff to the top of a cliff by scaling the cliff. Now, you can cheat. Often you can cheat, and you can just walk around an easy path and go up the side and, and get up the top and see the view. But it's not nearly as exciting or as, as exhilarating if, as if you climb the face of that cliff. Now, what typically happens when you go rock climbing is you have a climber and you have a belayer. In between the climber and the belayer is a rope, and the rope goes from the climber, it goes through an anchor at the top of the cliff, and it comes back down to the belayer. Often when you are preparing to climb, you want to choose a route or a, a line that has the best handholds and the best places for you to put your feet so that you can get up that. So often you'll stand back and maybe you stand with your belayer or maybe you stand with some other people and you'll look at that cliff face and you can go, oh yeah, I can, I can see the handholds there. I can see where I can put my feet. I can see the best way to get to the top of that cliff. You start climbing. You get going and after a little while, your hands start to cramp up, you know, your feet start to cramp up, and before you know it, you're holding on to whatever that last handhold was as, as, as strong as you can, and you're thinking to yourself, I still want to get to the top of that cliff, but you can't see the next handhold. You're not sure what to do because you're fatigued, your focus narrows, and you're just looking at where you are right now. Now, a good belayer, a belayer, remember, is that person that's on the ground, they're holding the other end of the rope so that you don't fall to your death. A good belayer is watching what you're doing. They know the route that you're planning on taking. They know the goal that's at the end of that. And a good belayer will see when you're struggling, and they'll say, hey, hey, Phil, just, just move your hand a little bit up to the left, and you'll find the next handhold. And take your right leg and, and jam it in that crack there and then lift off that and that'll help you to get up to the next level. A good belayer's job is to be looking and to be helping you find the next handhold. The key to successfully climbing is choosing the right line, choosing the right route having a good belayer, and bringing all of those things together. This morning, I think we are at a point where we need someone to point out the next handhold. We're at a point where maybe we're a little bit discouraged, maybe we're a little bit overwhelmed by the events. Unless you've been living under a rock not the rock that I was climbing, but another rock. Unless you've been living under a rock, this week has been filled with frustration. It's been filled with confusion. It's been filled with anger. And in many cases, it's been filled with fear. 
I don't want to talk this morning about politics. I don't want to talk this morning about corruption. I don't want to talk this morning about the events of this week. But I do recognize that to varying levels, the events of the past week have had an impact on everybody in this room's lives. So this morning, I want to get practical with you. Because in times where we are struggling to find the next handhold, or maybe this morning we'll say hope, sometimes we need somebody to point out, how do I get to hope? This morning I want to talk to you about practical hope. In the passage we read in our scripture reading this morning, we see David in a time of trouble in his life. This morning we're going to look at three verses from three different events in David's life and we're going to draw some practical helps for hope in times of trouble. We're going to let David point out the handholds for us as we try and climb. If you've still got your Bibles there, turn back to Psalm 59 with me. Psalm 59, this is where we're going to start this morning. And I want you to look at verse 16 with me. Psalm 59, verse 16. As we read the first part of that psalm, we could see David talking to God about the trouble that he was in. We come down to verse 16, and he says, But I will sing of thy power. Yea, I will sing aloud of thy mercy in the morning, for thou hast been my defense and my refuge in the day of my trouble. Unto thee, O my strength, will I sing. For God is my defense and the God of my mercy. The first point I want you to grab hold of this morning as we talk about practical hope The first point I want you to see this morning is that my hope in times of trouble comes not from my own abilities, but from recognizing and proclaiming the power and the grace of God. Not just recognizing, but proclaiming the power and the grace of God. There are a few practical truths that lead to hope that we can draw from in this verse. And the first The psalmist says here, but I will sing of thy power, yea, I will sing aloud of the mercy in the morning. Again, I want to be practical here, so what does David do? He recognizes his own weakness, and then he sings about the power of God. Can you see it there? He recognizes his own weakness, and then he sings about the power of God. Now, maybe that's not practical enough. Maybe maybe I need to go a little bit deeper. So let's break this down. Let's look at the who, the what, the when, and the how. (coughs) Let's look first at the who. He says, thy power, thy mercy. Thy power... Thy mercy. 
Now, let's step back. Let's add a little bit of context to this psalm so that we can just see how, how far it is that David's gone. Uh, turn with me back to Samuel chapter 19. Samuel chapter 19, and we, we can see the story here and where David is drawing this psalm from. Psalm chapter 19, David is being pursued by King Saul. And if we look at Psalm 19, verse 10, we get a glimpse of what's happening here. Psalm chapter 19, verse 10, it says, And Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with a javelin. So Saul is trying to kill him with a javelin. David's got problems. But he slipped away out of Saul's presence and he smote the javelin into the wall and David fled and escaped that night. Verse 11, So Saul sent messengers unto David's house to watch him and to slay, to kill him in the morning. And David's wife told him, saying, If thou save not thy life tonight, tomorrow thou shalt be slain. If you don't get out of here tonight, you're going to be dead in the morning. David's got problems. There's trouble in David's life. But let's, let's look back even a little bit further, because why? Why has this come up? Did David do something wrong? Is there an event? Did he do something to Saul that's created this problem? David's in self-preservation mode. Have a look back at verse 8 of chapter 19 there. See what's happened. Why has it come to this? 18, verse 5 and 7. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him. So wherever Saul said to go, David went. And Saul said, sent him or set him over the men of war. So he's put him in charge of the men of war. And he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So building the picture here, David's been following, doing what Saul says. He's acting wisely. Saul's placed him in charge of the men of war, the soldiers, and he's been accepted in the sight of all the people, all of the nation, and he's also been accepted in the sight of Saul's servants. And it came to pass, and they, as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. And here's where we start to see the, the, the problem. And Saul and the women answered one another playing and said, Saul hath slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Saul's jealous. He's angered because David is more popular than what he is. Come back up to 19, verse 8. And we see a little bit more here. And there was war again, and David went out and fought against the Philistines, and he slew them with a great slaughter, and they fled from him. David's done what he was supposed to do. He's followed the instructions of Saul. He has honored his ruler. He's honored his master. And now he's in a position where he is fleeing for his life. 
David has the heart of the people. He has the might and the trust of the army. What does he do? He recognizes that the power that he needs in this time of trouble, the power that he must rely on in this time of trouble is not his own power. It's not found in the armies that he is now in charge of. It's not found in the people that are now celebrating him. It's not found in his own might. found in God. It would have been very easy for him to mount an insurrection. He could have gathered up the army and all of the people that were on his side. He would have had many, many supporters. It would have been easy for him to do that. And for most of us, when we are in a time of trouble, when we were, if we were in that situation, that is exactly what I would have done. I would have been going, all right, who's on my side? I've got all of these soldiers over here. I've got half of the city, well, maybe even more than half of the city. I've got a whole bunch of servants. These guys are all supporting me. Saul is doing the wrong thing. He's trying to kill me. I'm going to grab all of these people. I'm going to come in, and I'm going to deal with this situation. That would have been my direction. David steps back and he finds his hope, he finds his strength in God. The who in our time of need must be God. The who in our time of need must be God, not ourselves. When hope has fled, or we feel like hope has fled, the who that we need to turn to is not our own understanding, not our own ability to change and correct the situation. The who is God. So that brings me to the what, the when, and the how. Notice that it is the power of God and the grace of God that David sings about. Not only does he recognize his own inadequacy, he knows that God is more than adequate. The what in our time of need must be that God's power and God's grace are enough. The what, when I am desperate, has to be that God's power and God's grace are enough. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. He says, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, would I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of God may rest upon me. Our hope has to be found in the power and the grace of God, not in our own ability. Let's look at what he says for the when and the how. He says, but I will sing of thy power, yea, I will sing aloud of thy mercy in the morning. The how in our time of need is to be vocal about the power and the grace of God. The, the 
The how in our time of need is to be vocal, to verbalize the power and the grace of God. I think you can see it here. David sings of God's power, and not just quietly, he sings aloud. Have you ever noticed when soldiers march or when they do drill, they call the cadences out loud together. Have you ever noticed that? Maybe you've seen it on a movie or something. Or maybe you've watched The State of Origin. And before The State of Origin, they're in the locker room there, and the team is all huddled together, and they're chanting, and they're cheering, and they're building each other up. They're vocal. They're loud about it. I remember as a young man growing up in Garoka, we used to have a lot of tribal fights. And we could always tell when there was going to be a tribal fight by the chanting of the two opposing sides. They'd start to whip each other up. And it was vocal. They're not just sitting there silently. We're going to fight? Yeah, we're going to fight. Cool. No, they're vocal about it. They're getting involved in it. They're, they're loud. There's a confidence and a strength that is drawn when we verbalize something. When I sing God's praises out loud, when I sing of the power of God, when I cry out loud in glorification to God, my hope is strengthened. When I talk to others about the power of God, about God's mercy when I don't deserve it, it gives me hope. David sings about the power and the grace of God. The next thing we see here is that the when. When does David do this? Well, we can see that he starts off his day by singing and declaring God's power. The when in our lives when we are struggling, the when in our lives when everything seems hopeless, the when that I should be glorifying God is I start in the morning. I start my day off affirming the power of God in my life, and then I continue it throughout the day. I will sing aloud of thy mercy in the morning. I will sing aloud of thy mercy in the morning despite the situation that is happening around me, despite the circumstances that I am now in. I will sing aloud of thy mercy in the morning. And that leads me to hope. Let's look at our second point this morning. My hope in times of trouble comes not from my own will, but from following the will of God. My hope in times of trouble comes not from my own will, but from following the will of God. Turn with me to Psalm 143. Psalm 143. Let's look at verses 10 and 11 there, and let's continue to draw some practical helps from David. Psalm 143, verses 10 and 11. He says, teach me 
to do thy will. For thou art my God. Thy spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Quicken me, O Lord, for thy name's sake. For thy righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. Here again in Psalm 143, we see David overwhelmed by the circumstances of his life. He's not writing this from a place of, hey, I just sat down and had a really nice meal with my good friends. No, no, he's writing this from a place of trouble, of torment in his life. Let's look at the practical stuff here. He says, and look at his perspective. He says, teach me, lead me, quicken me. There's a man in trouble. He's saying, God, teach me, lead me, Quicken me. Let's look at the first practical truth here. Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Look at his perspective. Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Despite the troubles around me, God is still God, and his will for my life has not changed because of my circumstances. Do you, do you realize that? Do you get that? God is still God, despite the circumstances that you are in now, despite whatever happened last week to you, whether it was politically involved or if it's just life happened, God is still God, and His plan for you has not changed just because your circumstances have. Look at the next couple words there. He says, thy spirit is good. Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Thy spirit is good. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Saith the Lord. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. In my time of need, I need to look for what God is teaching me instead of how difficult my situation is. Where's my focus when trouble rages around me? Where's my concentration when trouble rages around me? In my time of need, while all around me is troubled, I trust that in Christ I can find a place of comfort and safety. The next thing David says here is he says, teach me, and then he says, lead me into the land of uprightness. Lead me into the land of uprightness, a a level place, a, a figurative place of comfort and safety and prosperity. God, take me somewhere, take me somewhere where I can just rest in you, somewhere of safety, somewhere of prosperity. And the key thing is this, it's figurative. It means that mentally, that's where I need God to take me. Physically, I may still be in my problems here. 
mentally, God, take me somewhere of prosperity where my mind is going to grow in you, where I can find comfort in you. Psalm 27, verse 11 says, Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in the path, in the plain path, because of mine enemies. God, take me, help me, despite these troubles, help me to take my mind somewhere where I can just rest in you. Let's look at the next one. He says in verse 11, Quicken me, O Lord. So teach me, lead me, quicken me, O Lord, for thy name's sake, for thy righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. In my time of need, I need not wallow in despair, but look to God to revive me. In my time of need, I'm not going to just stay here in my despair, but I'm going to look to God to revive me. Quicken me to revive with fullness of life in God's favor. Revive me. But why? I want you to see the why in this. Why revive me? Why quicken me? Why lead me? Why teach me? He says it there, for God's name's sake. God, bring me revival despite my circumstances. God, fill me up so that I can better serve you. Notice this perspective here. It isn't, God, help me so that this doesn't hurt so much. God, help me so that I don't have these problems. God, help me so that I look better. God, help me. His thought process is, God, help me in this situation, change my mindset in this situation so that I can continue to serve you, so that I can continue to glorify you for your name's sake. For your name's sake. Despite my circumstances, fill me up so that I can better serve you so that I can better praise you, so that I can better do what glorifies you. Let's look at the third one there this morning. My hope in times of trouble comes not from focusing harder on resolving my trouble, but comes from focusing on the work of God. My hope doesn't come from looking more intently at my problem and trying to pull it apart and fix it. My, my, my hope doesn't come from being more detail-oriented, creating more lists, trying to itemize things. My hope in time of trouble comes from focusing on the work of God. Turn with me to Psalm 77. Psalm 77. Let's look at verses 11 and 12 together there this morning. Psalm 77, verse 11 and 12. He says, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also 
of all thy work and talk of thy doings. Again, in a time of trouble in his life, we can see David's perspective leads him to hope, not despair. Verse 11, he says, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. In my time of need, when everything else seems to be collapsing around me, I must remind myself of what God has done. I will preach the gospel to myself. In my time of need, I will remember, I will remind myself of what God has done, and I will preach the gospel to myself. Often in trouble, often in hardship, within moments of difficulty, we get tunnel vision. We get target fixation. We become myopic. Like that rock climber on the cliff, we lose sight of the next handhold because all we can focus on is holding on for dear life where I am right now. We can't see anything apart from the issue that we are in. Peter would say that we've become short-sighted. In fact, come with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. <coughs> 2 Peter chapter 1, look at verse 4 with me. Here Peter is writing to believers. He's encouraging them not to, not to fall away. He's encouraging these believers not to get distracted, not to become myopic. He says, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. You see, when we get so focused on our own problem, on the issues that are happening around us, we lose sight of that perspective. We lose sight of the fact that we have been given exceeding great and precious promises. That's for us as believers. That by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Yes, we live here. but I don't have to live like I'm here. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make it that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the thing, if I'm so focused on my problem, what do I become? I become barren and unfruitful. I become pointless, useless to anyone. Why? Because my entire focus is on my problem, not on the wider glory of God. Look at the next verse there, verse 9. He says, but, and listen to this, but, he that lacks these things, that these things being what he talked about in the verses just before this, growing in my knowledge of God, growing in my faith, he that lacks these things 
is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his own sins. Because of the problem that I am in and I'm so focused on that, I've forgotten all that God has done for me. I've forgotten the promises of God. I've forgotten everything. I've forgotten the fact that I'm purged from my own sins because I'm so focused on the problem that is at hand. When I lose sight of what God has done, when my focus is on me and on my situation, my problem, my hardship, my perspective leads to despair and discouragement. But when I preach the gospel to myself, when my focus is on God and His grace in my life, when I am adding to my faith, trusting God despite the circumstances, when I am remembering the work that He has done, it leads me to hope. Not despair, not discouragement. It leads me to hope. Look at verse 12 with me now. Back in Psalm 77, look at verse 12 with me. <coughs> he says, I will meditate also on all thy work. The war is waged in your mind. The, the war for your heart, the war for hope is waged in your mind. Wherever it is that captures your thought, whatever it is that captures your thoughts, whatever it is that, that, that leads your thinking, impacts your life. In my time of need, I will separate myself and I will focus on what God has done. I'm going to protect my mind. I'm going to protect my thoughts. And in my time of need, I'm going to separate myself and I'm going to focus on what God has done. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to dwell in God's Word. From a practical standpoint, what, what can I do physically here? I separate myself. I go and I find a place where I can sit and think about the mighty work of God. And here's the danger. There's a danger in this. The danger is, the challenge is, that we like to think about ourselves. And so when I separate myself, my natural thought, my, my man that's still alive in me, wants to think about me. And I want to think about my situation and how hard done by I am instead of letting my thoughts go to what God has done and I'm meditating on God's Word. You've got to protect your mind. You've got to guard your thoughts and meditate on God. Maybe like David said in Psalm 59, I need to sing to myself to get myself in the right mindset. I don't know. Do you, do you sing to yourself? I do. Not very well, but I do. 
Maybe you'd sing, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. We have a choice, don't we? We can sit and wallow in the stinking mud of our circumstances. We can twist it and turn it and try and make it to look better in our own power. Or we can trust that God is at work and we can meditate on His Word and on what God has already done for us. Look at the last part of verse 12. He says, and talk of thy doings. And talk of thy doings. In my time of need, I will speak about what God has done and continues to do. Often the easiest thing to do when I'm struggling, often where my heart goes is I want somebody to come up to call me, to come and sit beside me and go, hey, Phil, how's your day been? Because I want to be able to go, oh, here's my problem. This is what went wrong. And and these are all the things that, that led to this terrible thing in my life, and my life is so hard. I want to be able to, to sort of talk about me. I want you to notice how tough it is on me right now. I want you to look at my situation how it's impacting me. And and so often that same situation is impacting other people around us, but we don't see that because our perspective is on us. What David says here is pretty simple, but so practical. You see, when I take the approach of talking to others about what God is doing, I have to first consider what God is doing. If I'm going to talk to you about what God is doing, I need to think about that first. And when I think about what God is doing in my life, it changes my mindset. When I change my mindset and I start talking about what God is doing, it leads me to hope. So where does this leave us? We've looked at three different verses written in times of trouble. What is it that we can take home and we can digest and we can apply to our lives? What is it that will lead us to hope? Because that's where we need to be. The first thing we looked at is my hope in times of trouble comes not from my own abilities, but from recognizing and proclaiming the power and the grace of God. We talked about the fact that David sang out loud. He sang about the grace and the power of God. Lift your voice to the heavens when everything else is hopeless. In Acts 16, 25, we have this story of Paul and Silas as they are taken to prison. And while they are in prison, the verse says, and they sang praises unto God. 
Now, I don't think Paul and Silas were there trying to, to drum up sort of some sort of a, a, a snap or an instant choir. They're not there trying to do that, and they're certainly not there practicing for next Sunday's church service where they're going to do a special. No, no, they're singing and they're praising God because they want hope. They're in a situation that is terrible. And they know that the only place that they can go to for hope in that situation is God. And so they sing about the power and the mercy of God. If you get in the car with me, nine times out of ten, I'll be listening to Christian music. If I'm not listening to Christian music, I'm listening to a book or I'm listening to instrumental music. Often, Jeff or one of the other guys will get in the car with me on Friday night as we're coming to Bible study. And often, as I'm leading into Bible study, I don't know what it is, but Wednesday, Thursday, every single week, and then Friday morning, it seems like half of the world starts to collapse on my head as I'm trying to think about Bible study. And I carry that Malong, this is not your fault. Malong works for me. It's not your fault, Malong. Yeah. And I carry that into Bible study. So what do I do? How do I change my mindset so that as I'm going into Bible study, I'm not taking that baggage to Bible study? Here's the thing that I do, and here's what we do in my car driving to Bible study, is we sing. Jeff and I are in the car singing at the top of our lungs. And if we got other guys, John Wesley, Melvin, sometimes I've got guys from Shalom, we're sitting in the car singing at the top of our lungs. And I'll tell you what, by the time I get past all those speed bumps at Atlas Steel, which probably actually helps my singing, but as I get past that and we're coming down here and we're still singing, I'm encouraged. And all those thoughts, all of those problems that happened in my week, I'm not thinking about them anymore. I'm thinking about the power and the grace and the mercy of God working in my life. You want to get out of the pit of despair and discouragement and struggle? Sing about the power of God. Second thing we saw there as we start our day off right. Start your day off by recognizing the power of God at work in your life. If I start my day, I get out of bed, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, I serve a God who is great and who is mighty and who is powerful and who loves me and who wants what's best for me. If I start my day off thinking like that, it's going to impact the rest of my day. Second thing we saw this morning is my hope in times of trouble comes not from my own will, but from following the will of God. Look for God's will in your time of trouble. What is it that God is doing here and now? What is it that he is doing in this event that I am in right now? Remind yourself that his plan didn't just stop for you because of the events in your life. His plan for you didn't just stop because all of a sudden something happened to you. It continues. 
Isaiah 26, verse 3 and 4, my, some of my favorite verses. It says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusteth in you. Perfect peace, because I'm trusting God. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Get out of the pit of despair and look to what God is doing. Look for revival in God. Sometimes getting out of the pit of despair takes a specific decision from you. It's easy to just sit there and be discouraged. It's easy to sit there and be depressed. Sometimes I have to think to myself, I want out of this. And what am I going to do to get out of this? Where am I going to find hope at the end of this very long tunnel? And maybe it's singing. Or maybe it's surrounding yourself with other believers that are going to encourage you. But make that decision, I am not going to stay in this. The circumstances around me may continue to happen, but I am not going to allow this to impact my life and to make me despair. Because I know that there is hope. So I will choose a direction of hope instead of discouragement. Look at the last one this morning and then we'll close this. My hope in times of trouble comes not from focusing harder on resolving my problem, my trouble, but comes from focusing on the work of God. I said to you, preach the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself of the work that God has done. This is more than the post-it note on the dashboard of your car with a Bible verse. This is more than the post-it note that's on your laptop screen or the verses that pop up on your laptop screen or the verses that get emailed to you daily by whatever subscription you have. It's more than that. And those things are important. And I do those things. But this is more than that. Preach the gospel to yourself. Don't just remind yourself that God is good. Preach the gospel to yourself. And maybe you say to me, Brother Phil, how on earth do I do that? In the front of my Bible, I have a list of verses here. In fact, I gave these same verses to our young adults. And these verses are verses that make up the gospel. And so when I am discouraged, when I'm looking for hope, I pull out this piece of paper and I go, right, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. God loved me. God so loved me that he gave his only begotten son to who? To me. That whosoever, well, that's me, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God, I know that you sent your son to die for me. God, help me to believe that right now. Help me to be encouraged by that right now. Help me to understand that I have everlasting life in you. And I keep going through these verses. And I preach to myself the gospel because I need to hear it. Often we have this mindset that the gospel is for the unsaved. The gospel is for you as a believer. Draw hope. Draw encouragement from the gospel. Preach to yourself. We looked at separating yourself and commitment to a time focused with God in salvation. The process for me includes 
going into my office, closing the door, putting on sound-canceling headphones, opening up my Bible, opening up an app on my Bible that reads the Bible to me. And while the voice off my app, I don't know who that guy is, while the voice off my app reads Scripture to me, I am reading it there, and I am focused entirely on what it is that the Word of God is saying right there. Most of the time, the verses that I am meditating on are verses that I have read time and time and time before. And I sit there and I take notes. And I write down and I saturate my mind in the Word of God. We have to be so careful when we are spending time by ourselves that we don't allow our minds to drift off. So for me... Sound counseling headphones help me with that. Putting the Word of God in my ears help me with that. Reading the Word of God while I'm listening to it helps me with that. And then writing notes helps me with that. Separate yourself and allow yourself to focus on the Word of God. The last one we talked about was talk about the Word of God. Talk about the Word of God. What is God doing in your life? What is God teaching you? Just like singing about God's glory and God's grace, when I talk about what God is doing, it encourages me. It lifts my soul. It gives me Sing about it. Change your thought process. Get out of the mud. There is hope. Look for it. Talk about it. Meditate on God's Word. I hope there's some practical things in that for you this morning. Over the last or a few months ago, I was struggling with discouragement. I emailed uh, Brother Eric and Pastor Matt, I think I emailed our message. I think it was an email. I sent them a message and I said, guys, I'm really struggling right now. I'm discouraged. I'm depressed. I don't feel like I'm, I'm getting anywhere with my walk with God. I feel like everything at work is, is too hard. I feel like everything is building up against me. I need you to pray for me. And despite the fact that Brother Eric would send me a text message and say, hey, how are you doing today, brother? Praying for you. Despite the fact that Papa John would do that, and and Jeffrey and, and John Wesley and all of those guys, the thing that drew hope for me was when I would spend time in the Word of God and then I would turn that around and I would write a text to Pastor Matt and Brother Eric and to Jeff and John Wesley and, and different people and I would write what it was that I studied. When we talk about the Word of God, it impacts our lives. I didn't write those texts to Brother Eric to teach Brother Eric. I wrote those texts because I knew that it was going to help my heart. Sing about it, talk about it, and you will build hope in your life. We're going to do something a little bit different now as we close. Brother Eric's going to come up here and he's going to lead us in a song.
And then what we're going to do is we're not going to open those doors. For about 10 minutes, what I want you to do, we're going to sing about the Word of God and the power of God in our lives, and then I want you to talk to the people around you about God in your life. I want you to just sit there and talk. And maybe you want to just pray with someone. Maybe you want to sing a song with someone. But for 10 minutes, I want us to focus our thoughts and our talking and our concentration on God. Not on the circumstances that happen in our city. Not on the circumstances that are happening in our lives. Can we do that just for a few minutes? Can we do that? All right, Brother Eric, 